Lord, my God, my God, I just don't know, I just don't know how I should pray, how I should pray to go for things to somebody has given you that advice whenever you might have been going through a difficult time or maybe you've even given that advice to someone else who's going through a difficult time but I want you to think about it you know what does that really mean and I want us to take a look at kind of some practical examples about how we can see that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways and really how this phrase while at first it might seem like okay well how is that really an answer whenever we stop and think about it and maybe even meditate upon it that is an answer, and it is one that can be very comforting. By the way, this concept about the Lord's ways being higher than our ways, it comes from Isaiah 55, uh, among other places as well. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we read God speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So let's think about this and let's kind of let's see some examples of just how high God's ways are. I want us to look at the person of Job. I want you to think about Job, okay? We're, we're going to uh, look at some passages from that book in just a moment. But when you look at Job, you see that he was a man who was going through all types of hardships. I mean, he just got hit just one thing right after another at the very beginning of the book. And we know, of course, why those, those things happened to him, but he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And then he had friends who were trying to, to, to help him, but they caused problems sometimes. Well, Job, at some point, he was getting tired of it all. And he basically just kind of demanded, he definitely desired an audience with God. And guess what? He got it. 
But it looked a little different, and the conversation went different than what he might have been expecting at first. So let's turn to the book of Job, chapter 38, whenever the Lord answers him, and let's see the Lord's answer. In Job 38, verses 1 through 7, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the, found, the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together with all the and all the angels shouted for joy? And of course, the the this chapter goes on and on and on, mentioning one thing after another. See, this chapter is not really designed to give Job answers in the sense of God says, oh, well, this is exactly why all these things happen to you. It was just to explain that God is in charge, and sometimes we need to trust that. And we can trust that, because we've seen time and time again about how the Lord has brought people through some pretty crazy things. But the Lord is with these people. And the Lord has helped him, uh, helped them in times past. See, right here, he's he's just asking this question. You know, the Lord says, you know, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? He, he's asking him, who are you to ask me these things? Now, the Lord, I think, is actually, you know, pretty gracious to him, uh, pretty merciful to him. And does kind of respond with some answers, although he doesn't ever give him the type of answers that we might be looking for. But right here, he's getting Job to recognize that Job is not in the place of God. And Job has already been asked several questions that he simply just doesn't have an answer to. In fact, we don't really have answers to them either. Several verses later, uh, the questions still continue on. Listen to some of these questions. Verses 34 through 41 now. God's still asking Job questions and says, Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Uh, do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the, the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clouds of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the the hunger of the lions, when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cries out to God and wander about for lack of food? This chapter, it, it would have sounded like impossible for Job to be able to, to know these things. And I mean, of course, I guess the answer is God is the one that does them. You know, many of these things they're still kind of impossible for us to do today. You know, we, we might be able to examine some of these and kind of observe some of these things that might have been a little bit hidden, a little bit more hidden from uh, Job's uh, eyes, but yet we still don't really understand how they all work. God is still the one who is in control and he makes these things happen around us on a daily basis. So what should be our response well, if we look at what Job's response was, we find out that what he does is, is he just kind of repents and, and he says, look, you know, I'm sorry for questioning you. You are in control. And he submits to the wisdom and the power, the might of God. That should be our same response as well. 
In fact, it's not just Job who responds like this. We get plenty of Psalms that, that praise God for all the great wonders that he has done, even if we can't understand them or you know, just can't even see them necessarily. One of those Psalms is Psalm 104. Psalm 104 starts off like this. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It, it can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. Of course, this is a pretty poetic way of describing all that the Lord has done and how he's kind of, uh, of course, it uses things like light and then the heavens as tents and all. It's, it's using these as, as images, of course, but basically all of them point to something that is very real. The very real thing is we are called to praise the Lord. Because his ways are higher. He does things that we can't hardly even understand. And even if we can understand them, there's no way we can do the same things. Our God has amazing power. He has created everything around us. He sustains everything around us. He controls everything around us. He is the one who has set these boundaries. He's the one who has uh, brought the, the waters to where they belong. And he's the one who... who causes them to stay in their assigned locations. Also, in this same psalm, just a few verses later, we pick back up in verses 24 through 30. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. See, this, this psalm is still praising the works of the Lord, talking about the wisdom with which he's used and it mentions about the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I love watching some of these, these uh, science uh, videos that they take cameras into the, the oceans and show us things that, honestly, I would just be scared to death to, to try to see with my own eyes. But I love seeing them on, on a television screen to be able to see some of the huge creatures that God has made, some of these big whales, and then all these other fish, the beautiful things that are all in the sea. It's teeming with these creatures beyond number, as, as the psalmist says. And now, you know, I mean, we have video footage that describes all of these things and shows us time and time again about all these great creatures that God has made. And God is the one that takes care of them all. And he gives them their food at the proper time. We are all dependent upon God. This psalm continues on, and at, the, at its end, it, it states this. Verses 33 through 35. This is a great conclusion. This is a great kind of lesson with this psalm. 
I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. So what should our response be to the fact that God's ways are higher than our ways? The response should be to praise the Lord. It must be our response. His ways are higher. His plans are bigger. His wisdom is greater. And we see that that throughout the pages of the Bible, you know, what he has done for us, it's been revealed kind of slowly, I guess, from our perspective at least. And his plans also include salvation for the entire human race. And that salvation comes to us through Jesus Christ. And I want to look at a passage in the New Testament that speaks about this and, and kind of uses some, some pretty uh, interesting images about how Jesus Christ has given us this salvation. It's from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to see that, that Jesus Christ is not just a priest for us, someone who is a go-between between us and God, but he is our high priest, the very top of the line. And he's done things for us that we could never do. This is part of the ways of God, the ways that we should praise the Lord for. In Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 4, we read about the other high priest compared to the high priesthood of Jesus. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. So in the first four verses, this is really speaking about the priesthood that existed uh, with, the, with the tabernacle and with the temple. It's the priesthood that comes after Aaron and, and all of those, the, the Levites who served as the priest. They were humans. They had their own faults. That's why they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Then they could sacrifice um, for the sins of the people. They were this go-between. They were there in order to, to help us. In fact, verse 1, it speaks about what the high priest was, was called to do. They were going to represent the people. And they were going to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's the job of the high priest. But now, we see the wisdom of God, the plan of God... It includes not just the human high priest of, of times ago, but also now the high priest of Jesus Christ himself. Verses 5 through 10. In the same way, that same way that the other high priest, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I love this passage, and you've probably you know heard me um, read this passage a few different times, but I just love this beautiful image about Jesus being our high priest. Jesus Christ, he knows what we go through. He himself was a human being. He was the, the word of God who became a human being and he lived among us. He knows what we're going through. 
He knows what we've gone through, and he cares. He's also capable about being able to help us. Not just capable of being able to help us, but he desires to help us. If we would simply trust in him, we see this passage speaks about how he is this high priest who, who can relate with us. He knows uh, what we're going through, and he cares enough to do something about it, to help us, to raise us up. We also find out what's mentioned here in verse 9, that he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He is designated as this high priest. It's, it's a weird type of priesthood, I'll give you that. After, in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this interesting character who appears in the book of Genesis. And he appears as a king and a priest. And he serves in those roles. So does Jesus Christ. That's the type of priest that we have. He is the king of kings. He is our high priest. He is also our God. And he became the source of eternal salvation. The ways of God are higher than our ways. The wisdom, his plans, everything about God is higher than us. But the great thing about God is he's welcomed us into it. He's welcomed us to follow him, to drink from the source of eternal salvation. He's also asked us, and we see that here even in verse 9, that the ones who, who can come to this eternal uh, salvation, it's for all who obey him. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be people who will obey the Lord. We need to be people who will obey Jesus Christ and who will follow him. To know his ways and to follow in his ways all the days of our lives. That's what we're called to do. We're also called to invite other people to do the same. Let's do that. Let's invite them to follow and to obey our Heavenly Father. Lord, shine through.